Welcome to an All Saints discussion. I am Connie Willems. I'm Brock Bingaman. And we're glad to have you with us. We have a a topic for today that's actually really personal to the both of us. So Brock, mm. tell us what we're going to be talking about. We are going to talk about the gift of prophecy, the prophetic, hearing God's voice. So for people who may think, I wonder what they mean when they say that, how would you describe what the prophetic is as we're talking about it? It, there are many definitions of the prophetic. One that is particularly useful that uh, Professor Wayne Grudem came up with. He devoted much study, actually his dissertation, to studying the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. And he came up with a very simple definition, and it is reporting something that God brings to mind. Reporting something that God brings to mind. Yes. And that was his kind of overarching definition of what prophecy is. I think it's ambiguous, mm -hmm. yes, but it also yeah. covers a number of different expressions of what the New Testament gift of prophecy could, could be. So when we're talking about this today, we're talking about what's described or talked about in both the Old and New Testaments, but primarily the New Testament, That's right. right? The New Testament gift of prophecy, and we'll get into this, but even the idea that... Well, we'll go there later. I was okay. going to mention the idea that all Christians are prophetic because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll come oh, to that. Getting ahead of ourselves isn't so bad. Okay. We can do that, but this is going to be a little bit, well, we should probably warn people that this will be a little bit maybe unformed or more personal than mm. we're used to because the prophetic is really central to both of us. Mm -hmm. In very different ways. In really different ways. Yeah. And we have been talking about this and realized that there's something about this that is kind of core to who we are. Mm -hmm. And we thought we needed to explore that. So part of the conversation today is going to be an exploration. That's right. And there's some vulnerability to it. But I have found in certain areas that the more vulnerable and transparent and willing to go there we are, the more powerful it can be. So we're going to really try to do that today. So why don't we start with our first uh, discussion point here, and why is this central? Why is the prophetic, hearing God's voice, the gift of prophecy, central for Christians? Mm, for Christians or for me? Well, you're a Christian, I hope. I, so. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, I am. Um I think there's two different answers there, or maybe my answer goes into both of those. Okay. Because frankly, I didn't grow up in a Christian environment that had, in that environment, if the word prophecy was mentioned, it was something about the end times, yeah. or the book of Revelation, or sometimes people referred to um, preaching, just mm -hmm. a good sermon, yeah. as being prophecy. Mm -hmm. So the idea that God might bring something to mind that I would then speak out, mm -hmm. Um, on his behalf to someone else didn't exist. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't even encountered it. Yeah. So it really wasn't central. There was mm -hmm. nothing central about it. And I first encountered it maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had to start grappling with the idea that God might actually speak to us today. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what to do about that. Mm -hmm. And so I got some training and I kind of dug in, and it was weird 
because I was thinking, well, how do I know? What does it mean for God to bring something to my mind? How does that happen? What is it like? Does it happen like in dreams or weird visions or when somebody's just walking around? And yeah. um, Well, I want to ask you, yeah. because you said it was peripheral. Yeah. And then maybe even non-existent, because yeah. in certain churches they believe the gift has ceased. But you mentioned an experience you had at a concert, mm, and oh that goodness. was yeah. really interesting. It that kind of... was probably the first time I can look, and I didn't have words to put into words what was going on. It was at a Rich Mullins concert, you so like we're talking oh ninety, yeah ninety five, I think it was. Yeah. And I was sitting at the concert next to a friend that I hadn't seen for maybe a month. Hmm. And as we were sitting there just chatting, waiting for the concert to start, actually, this picture, kind of a very symbolic picture of her flashed into my mind that described a situation that she was in. And I hadn't been thinking anything like that. And it was startling. And I turned to her and I said, are you okay? And she looked at me. She said, yeah, I'm fine. And I said, no, really, are you, are you okay? okay? And she just started weeping. Hmm. And it turns out she was really getting ready to head over an edge just emotionally and was really struggling with some stuff and nobody knew about it. Yeah. And because I hadn't seen her for a month, I didn't know about it. And she needed somebody to know it. Hmm. And I got home that evening and I said, okay, God, that was weird. Hmm. I don't know what that was, but I just assumed that you wanted someone to pay attention to her. So you had the Holy Spirit bring this picture to my mind so that somebody would know. Hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I guess that's what you do. So that is a really good illustration of what Grudem is talking about. God bringing something to mind and you can either discount it, mm -hmm. I'm crazy, or this yeah. was the pizza earlier in the day and I'm having heartburn, or, or God's bringing this to mind for me to convey this to someone else, and you did. Yeah. yeah. And you were a Bible person, so you grew up around studying the scriptures and all these things, but in that moment, that wasn't just handing someone a Bible verse, or the Lord was speaking to you and wanted to give a fresh word yes. to that person sitting next to you. Yes. And had you not been open to it and taken the risk, that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. And there was, I won't get into describing the picture, but the picture that I saw was very symbolic of a certain kind of situation. Hmm. And it caught my attention. And I possibly God might have been able to bring a Bible verse to mind that would have revealed something similar, but it wouldn't have been nearly as clear and as um, instantly recognizable mm -hmm. as that picture was. Yeah, yeah. And I think I probably muddied the water a little bit. Oftentimes the Lord does bring Scripture to mind, but I, I think what I was wanting to convey is it wasn't like a moment of Bible study or something. No. It was like the Lord yeah. illuminating your mind, and it could yeah. even be an image or a Scripture verse or something, but something in the moment, some, there was an immediacy to mm -hmm. that, the Lord whispering to you yeah. for this friend. On her behalf on and her saying, behalf. pay attention, she's valuable. Yes. I need someone to see her. I need someone yeah. to know what her heart is like. Yeah. And that's the heart of the prophetic. Mm. And from there, I came around some Christians who knew something about this. And 
began to teach me. And I, I'm, a, I'm about to say that I began to have dreams that seemed like they might be significant. And I realized as I was about to say that, how very strange it felt to be in an All Saints podcast talking about significant dreams. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the difficulty of the prophetic, Mm -hmm. because it feels like how can you talk about um, monastic traditions one week and symbolic dreams the next and combine those. And yet that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And if you read... Geez, cover to cover, the Bible is filled with mm. hearing God, encountering God, God speaking, people reporting what that is. So it may seem odd, but it really isn't. If you're yeah. going to be a biblical Christian, and if you're going to get into church history and read the spiritual classics, these folks had direct encounters with God and heard the voice of the Lord and conveyed that to other people. Well, the first time I began having dreams that seemed like they might be spiritually significant, that's where I went, was straight to Scripture. Mm-hmm. to look. I got my Strong's Concordance out, literally, and I looked up every time the word dream or vision occurred in Scripture because I wanted to see, does God do this? And I, I came away thinking, if all I had was the Bible, I would assume, based on these passages, that God designed dreams in order to speak to people. Yeah because they're mentioned that way so often yes. all the way through. So that helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the reality was I wanted to be rational and logical, and this didn't seem rational and logical. Yeah. So I needed some convincing. Yeah. Yeah. What about for you? You have a really different um, journey of why this is central for you, I think. I think there's some personal elements to it, but I think being growing up in an evangelical Bible-oriented context, I began to hear about this, and I began to read my Bible with new eyes, and I saw from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, the God of the Bible is a God who speaks. It's a speaking God. So what happens in Genesis 1? The Lord says, the Lord speaks Let there be light. And then the Lord speaks creation by divine word, divine fiat. And then all the way through, you have the prophets. And all the way in the New Testament, you've got Jesus who himself is a prophet. And then you've got the book of Revelation ending with the prophetic word. Revelation 19.10 says the spirit of Jesus is the testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And you've got the spirit and the bride speaking. So, And that's how the whole thing ends. I mean, it thing. starts with, in the beginning, God said. That's right. And it ends with, and the spirit and the bride said, come. come. So it is a speaking God. So I think that's one thing I began to recognize more and more clearly in the Bible. But then, as that was happening, I began to experience God speaking in And this was, ways. how old were you when this happened? 17, 17 years old. So, so as a 30 high years schooler, ago. how did you make sense yeah. of that? Well, I really mucked up the family for sure because <laughs> we were in circles where the gifts of the Spirit were not acknowledged. Mm. They had ceased, including the gift of prophecy. And as you said earlier, 
good preaching was right recognized as the gift of prophecy. Yeah. So I began to read my Bible and have I began to have the Lord speaking to me through the scriptures, through other contexts, through dreams, and I began to ask my parents questions and really challenge their theological systems. And so that's really where where it started. Were you as a high school student thinking, well, sure, of course God does this, or were you trying to grapple with what on earth is going on? A little bit of both, but more kind of that childlike reading Mm. of Scripture and seeing, whoa, the God of the Bible speaks, and it does. I'm not able to find anywhere where God gets laryngitis or God turns (laughs) off certain things. God has always spoken. God continues to speak, and so there was this understanding of, I'm, I'm going to encounter God in, in some of these ways, too. So then, you said that was more than 30 years ago. Yeah. Has this been this constant theme, then, for you over these past 30-some yeah. years? Whether I like it or not, yes. And why would you not like it? I think different people have different experiences with various spiritual gifts, but... Um, I feel like the Lord laid something on me, like Mm. it called me to be a prophetic person in the church to equip and train other people. And I didn't, I didn't ask for it. So it was kind of thrust on me. And so I've had some Jonah seasons where I've tried to run from it. Get onto a ship and head away from Nineveh. Head away. And not necessarily like, God, I want to stop hearing from you, but could we normalize this a little bit. I don't want to have visions. I don't want to have this thing operating maybe as much as it does. So I think that's what I was referring to earlier, just yeah. saying I want it to be rational. Mm-hmm. And this felt irrational. Yeah. And there's a real... Uh, part of that dilemma is just my personal pride right. of just right. saying I don't want to f- be seen as silly or flaky. flaky. But then there's this other part... Of, um, I don't want to damage God's name or God's truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to bring disrepute mm-hmm. to the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that was the positive side. And then the negative side was, I don't want to damage my name and bring disrepute to me. Yeah. It's difficult to maybe untangle those yeah. two. And- Again, I think if you immerse yourself in the scriptures, Paul himself, who was as educated as it gets, yeah, educated in scripture, educated, he knew philosophy. You yeah. read in Acts 17. I mean, he knew his stuff. He was highly rational, highly educated. And in 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about the foolishness yeah. of the gospel, the yeah. foolishness of the message of the cross, a crucified yeah. Christ. So I think the prophetic is part of that. There is stigma and there is uh, a measure of, do you want to be respectable or do you want New Testament Christianity, including the prophetic? Including the prophetic. So why then, because both in our different ways have said we want New Testament prophetic. Yeah. So I know why I've said that, but why have you said that? Why have I said I want it? Yeah, in spite of stigma or rationality or whatever it might be. I think a couple of reasons. One is because Scripture clearly says that we're 
to desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And that's First Corinthians, what, 14? 14. You got it. So if you read 12 and 14, you can see it's just shot through with the gift of prophecy. So you, you've got to wonder, what is it that makes that so? So if you read First Corinthians 14, you'll see it builds up the church, which is made up of individuals. But then down at like verse 28, 29, it talks about the prophetic has a way of touching outsiders. Mm, yeah, it talks about if people come in from the outside yes. and all of them seeing you prophesy, what the effect will have That's right. on them. They're, the secrets of their hearts are laid yeah. bare and they fall on their face before God and say, God is certainly among you. So yeah. it, prophecy builds up the church. If it's done properly, if it's done biblically, builds up the church and it also has a missional component to it. It touches people outside the church and draws them to God. And I think that's one of the reasons it's the part that if it's done properly is one of the reasons people are often so wary of this because they have perhaps seen it done improperly, improperly, where there's a lot of people's personalities and dysfunctions mixed in mm. with this. A lot of weirdness. And we could say that about... <laughs> We're just going to say it flat out. A lot of weirdness. There's weirdness, flakiness. Yeah. But if we said that about each of the gifts, yeah. you know, there's a lot of weird, flaky teachers. And weird, flaky weird, preachers. And weird, ego-driven leaders and yeah. people who twist all the various gifts. So really, if we use that same logic, we wouldn't practice any of the gifts. You could even say some people abuse hospitality. They manipulate other people with their gift of hospitality because they want something. So and people out of who it. are helpers who are actually enablers. That's right. So if we're using each of the gifts as God intended and using the litmus test of scripture, you know, is this in line with scripture? Is it in line with First Corinthians thirteen with love? Then we should practice it. I think this is a beautiful transition to our second point of discussion. And that has to do with more God-centered use of the, the prophetic. This is something that I have been pondering on because I have seen kind of the ill use I've seen of the prophetic has been where people are almost pursuing the gift, not in, not in a really damaging way, but in a minor way, kind of as its own thing. Yeah. It's about the gift. Yeah, it's about the gift. And I truly have seen some really remarkable prophetic words. And Mm -hmm. I will be frank that I have had, um, I I mean, this is the vulnerable part of needing to say, I have had dreams. And then I wake up and I walk into a situation and what I saw in my dream is happening in the situation. And... I can get to bring something into it. And Mm. you've had also prophetic experiences where you've seen God do powerful things as he's spoken to you. Yeah. So people can become enamored with the gift or with the person, the vessel in which the gift is. And so what we want to do is frame this discussion and talk about God-centered prophecy and even take it in another direction Talk about the Trinity and the prophetic. Because if we are not focused on the prophetic, but we are focused on who God is and how 
he functions and operates, then to me, that's what makes the prophetic central because it's coming out of who God is and not something I'm pursuing for its own sake. And this requires kind of a readjustment Mm. of the prophetic and the gifts. If you think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking, interacting, indwelling, building up the church, and the prophetic is situated in that, the prophetic flows out of communion with the Holy Trinity. So back up there even a little bit more and talk about the communion among the Trinity. Can I introduce a Greek term? Sure. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. and before I do that, I'm going to talk about Father and Son and Holy Spirit interacting. The community of all communities. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A um, oneness and distinctiveness. And I mean, it's the greatest mystery in, in the Christian faith. But but the reality, there's interaction. There's interaction and between Father, Son. communication and communion. That's right. And there's a Greek term called perichoresis. That describes that, and it's it's basically um, if you've seen the the symbol of the three circles mm-hmm. overlapping yeah. one another, that yeah. represents perichoresis, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, interacting, swirling, moving uh, through what, love and relationship. Now this the is word, symbolic yeah, language. What does the word mean? It it means literally that it means an encircling <laughs> and a a mutual indwelling. Okay. It's, it's a okay. multifaceted word, but it means mutual indwelling. And Jesus talks about this at different places in the Gospel of John, where he's talking about the Father is in me, I am in the Father, the Spirit is yeah. in you, you, and you will be in the Father. So that is the language of perichoresis, mutual indwelling, mutual interpenetration. Some people use the word kind of like a divine dance. I don't know. I find that a little, I don't know, a little corny, but that's okay. Um, so it's just this notion of interconnection. I'm moving my hands around. <laughs> yeah, if you could like see, this. there's kind of this interlayering, interweaving, yeah, you got it. interconnection. So in love. In love. If this communion, interconnection, interweaving in love, that's a, we just went to this massive undergirding, topic of all of this. It's like we sank down from this surface thing of dreams and visions all the way down to this communion among the Trinity. So what's the connection then? Well, I think if we, if we ponder the gift of prophecy in that context, prophetic people commune with the Holy Trinity through prayer, through fellowship with other people. You're spending time in and with and communing with the Holy Trinity. And so you're asking, you're you're saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may I be in that. May I dwell there. May I learn practical ways to pray and practice the presence of this. And then may it get inside of me as I study scripture, meditate on the word of God so that I speak out of that place, so that my words are infused with the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So then the first movement even, if I 
And I don't know if I could have accessed this 20 years ago, but as if I were moving into the prophetic, it's not moving into the prophetic. It's moving into this place of deep relational communion with God. And then out of that, that relationship and communication flows to others. That's right. And I think it is, it's a call again, and this is why it's important to have a conversation like this in an All Saints context, is because it is theological. The prophetic is a theological act. It is a theological calling, and we just don't hear enough about that. So describe what it means that the, that the prophetic is a theological act. So we define theology as reflection on God in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. That is what prophetic people should do, is reflect Mm. on God in the presence of God, first and foremost through immersing our minds and hearts in Scripture, getting under the waterfall of God's love, the revelation of who God is in Scripture, and learning to pray Scripture and interact with God, have our minds transformed. And so that's a theological act. That's a theological activity. I do want to say this, though. All Christians are called to some measure to be prophetic people. And by that you mean? I mean the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, the prophet of all prophets. And so we are called to be a prophetic church, a prophetic community. So I know there are varying degrees of that, but we are called to be prophetic people. All of us are invited to commune and have friendship with the Holy Trinity. Because Paul does say, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Yes, so this right. is, there's an especially that's pointed toward this. Yeah. And it comes out of this place of this deep um, engagement with God's Word. Yeah. Who is a person. Christ himself is the Word. Mm. And so it's an invitation for all Christians to spend time with the Word Himself and to have Him. I mean, think about that. John 1 is about the Word. And the imagery behind that, there is Old Testament imagery. In the beginning, harkens back to Genesis 1, where God spoke. And so here God is speaking again in the person of His Son. And so we're called to spend time in the presence of the Word, the Son, and he is speaking to us. Oftentimes we may not even realize it, but he's revealing things in us and through us. So there is a engaging and communing that is a form of listening. There's a kind mm-hmm. of listening happens in that. Yeah. And then the speaking forth of what God brings to us comes out of that. Yeah, that's right. So we're back to what Grudem said yeah. at the beginning, that you're hearing something, you're sensing something, and you're reporting it. Now, this could sound kind of esoteric, mystical, impractical, but it's really not. It's a call for us to cultivate friendship with Jesus and to learn how to relate to God and how to listen to God. I think it's a call to friendship, relationship, and listening. And also, for me, it's been a call to surrender, Mm. of saying, I am not in charge of this relationship. I'm not the one who determines its parameters Mm. and who decides this is acceptable and that isn't. Mm. When I come into relationship with Jesus, I surrender to who he is Mm -hmm. in his fullness. And if he speaks Mm. 
and is present through the presence of the Holy Spirit, then that sets the boundaries for the relationship, yes. not my comfort zone. That's right. So if we're interested in the prophetic and hearing God and coming into this place of friendship and communion, we better prepare ourselves. I know what I think of when I hear that, but what are you meaning when you say we better prepare ourselves? I think if we think that we can control God. Yeah. I only want you yeah. speaking about certain things or in this certain way or these areas are off limits right. with me. God doesn't work that way. God is yeah. an all-consuming fire. So when we enter into that place of fellowship, yes, it is love. It is grace. It's wonderful. God is the best parent in the universe, but we can't control God. Yeah. And there is this other thing of if I'm going to love God, then I want to love him as he is, which means I can't look at him and say, I love you up until this portion of who you are, <laughs> right. and that portion, please keep it away from me yeah. because I'm uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Love yeah. says, I love your being. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's with love with another human person. Yeah. But when we love God, how could we do that less with him? Yeah. We're going to continue to talk about this. We will. We'll continue to talk about it. I would like to end with this passage and invite people to ponder this. Um, it's from Jeremiah, a young prophet, actually. <laughs> Jeremiah 23, 18 says this, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord as to see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word so as to proclaim it? So, Lord, I ask that those who are listening would feel and hear the invitation to communion mm. with you, deep communion, friendship, to stand in the council, the presence of the Holy Trinity, Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit, to hear you like never before through the scriptures, through dreams, through visions, however you see fit to speak. To love you in your entire being and to surrender ourselves to you we love you lord we love you father son and holy spirit and we thank you holy spirit that you are the greatest teacher and counselor you're the spirit of truth and we trust you so connie well, until later then... <laughs> we'll be continuing this conversation and in the meantime for people who are interested in learning more about all saints well you can always visit us online we're at allsaints.center and we have so much more to say so we will talk to you again yeah thank you for listening have a great week